On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Abdel Abdelai, also known as Boy from Dagbon, a photographer who in the early days of street style photography really helped shape how we saw ourselves, especially men's fashion in the landscape of fashion trends. He has had an evolution from photographer to influencer and background again, um, and even amidst the pandemic, has still found a way to create and continue to put his work out there that is creating value. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did actually sitting with Abdul and just striking a conversation that felt so short, but actually was a full hour. Welcome to another episode of Third Culture Africans. I am your host, Zezo Oriyaki-Sal. I created the show as a resource for our community of Africans and African diaspora. A safe and honest place to share, inspire, motivate, and most importantly, celebrate those in our communities doing purposeful work and shifting the needle on our culture. Your support is invaluable to the show, so please subscribe or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. You are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. Hi, Abdul. Thanks for joining us in this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Hi. So you are a fashion portrait still life and... Tech recently, photographer, that is your 100% job. Yeah, you got it all, actually. Yeah, portraits, lifestyle, tech. I mean, I still kind of do a bit of both, so, but yeah, it's photography right now, you know? Amazing. Thank you. So, I guess context well, you're Northern West African, so from famous boy from Dagbon, for anyone who follows you on social media, did most people know your real name? You know, it's interesting you say that because for a long time, and actually still till now, I still get called Boy from Dagbon. And I remember a couple of years ago, out doing Fashion Week in the streets of Paris, and whoever never knew my name would always be like, oh yeah, Boy from Dagbon. Yeah, it's stuck for a long time. And it's, yeah, most people don't actually know that my name is actually Abdel, <laughs> you know, until I have to remind them. But it's interesting how Dagbon actually stuck. And I think maybe it's also because of you know the history and the name it's one that sticks and people actually look to and when they don't know about it they tend to read about it and then maybe that's why it sticks but yeah most people don't know my name they just know me as boy from dagbon why boy from dagbon well so i mean dagbon is um a town or city in northern ghana it's my history it's my roots it's it's me and the reason why i chose it is because I wanted to identify with my culture, identify with my people. Not many people know about the Dagomba tribe and Dagbon. So it was a way for me to all identify myself and also show that to the world, you know. Talk about the Dagombas, you know, who are, I mean, the second most influential, I guess, tribe in Ghana as well, besides the Ashanti. So, yeah, that's the reason why I chose that. Yeah, because we all know about the Ashanti tribe. Nobody really knows about the Dagombas, you know, like, yeah, besides the Ashantis, the Dagombas are also another well-known tribe, you know, in, in northern Ghana, you know, they fought the Brits, they're fierce warriors, and they have history that goes back, you know, thousands of years, you know, before they settled in northern Ghana from the nomad tribes and moving. So, yeah, there's just quite a history behind that. So it's always... It's good to talk about it. But question though, did you, I guess for most Northern, especially Northern West African tribes, I guess before our colonizers came and drew lines amongst all, our, all and created these countries, 
you guys have really strong affinity to like Niger, Chad, like Northern Africans. I just wonder, historically, is there a link between yourselves, Northern Nigerians, the guys from Togo? No, there, there most certainly is. I remember as a, as, a, as a young child, you know, traveling with my dad and the most memorable experience for me was he'd come to visit and I remember going to Heathrow to see him off. And, you know, he started talking to these guys, two were from Ethiopia and the other was from Chad. And he started mentioning these things, you know, oh, do you know this, do you know that? And then in, I remember the conversation went on, they went into history and in the end he was like, yeah, you know, we're all cousins, right? And they could all identify with each other. There were similarities amongst like the tribes and even the language. And it really blew me away. You know, it was a point where I was like, wow, like, you know, like there's so much I didn't know. Like this is something I have to talk about. I have to, I have to identify it to show the world. But yes, there is. There's a massive link. And even the languages in northern Ghana, like the Gomba language has, I mean, influences in Burkina Faso all the way through to Mali. And it's, yeah, I mean, before the lines were drawn, I guess there was just one massive kingdom, you know, so. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Uh, just to jump right in to defining your career, you started off, I guess, post-university going into IT. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite the story, actually, because I've always been into IT. I've always loved IT, but a lot of it changed. And I always tell this story and people always laugh. And I know it happens to most Africans. It was, I, I call it as my, my exile in Ghana, you know, at, at one point where my dad was like, right, you have to go back home, you know, because you should have been that doctor. And it doesn't seem to, you know, you don't seem to want to do that. It was always in IT and I am worked in IT here, but it, kicked off in Ghana, actually. When I went back, under exile, as I call it, I was meant to go to school, but I ended up doing this course. And the owner of the school took a liking into me. I mean, he, I, yeah, I was this wonder child for him because I would, like, you know, answer, like, well, teach the teachers, you know, that sort of thing. But anyway, I ended up starting my career working with him in Ghana, and we kicked off with a project with the United Nations and that was like the early days of Wi-Fi in Ghana. You know, we were setting up VSATs and mobile telecommunication, you know, taking internet to villages in Ghana. And it was where it really kicked off, you know, after doing that. Yeah, coming back to the UK and working in IT. And it, it kicked off quite a huge career, actually, for many years until I actually decided to, to switch because I guess I had enough of corporate work, I guess. And so your first foray into photography, do you remember when that was? Like, have, had you always had a camera? Yeah, I've always had a camera. I mean, my dad always had a camera. You know, he grew up with cameras, sort of my older brother, who we were always taking pictures. He was always into like landscape, people, portraits, you know, never really thought anything of it until a couple of years back. And the person I was then seeing was like, listen, you're a great photographer. She was working in fashion and she said to me, come to Fashion Week, you know, come take some pictures because it could be really cool. And I remember thinking to myself, cool, like who takes pictures of people in clothes? Like that's so stupid, you know, like why do you take pictures of landscapes? And I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, I'll do it anyway, you know, because you ask. I remember after the first day and the first show, I mean, there was such a buzz, you know, people, styles, and I've always liked fashion. And I was just blown away, like, being submerged into this different world of lifestyle and photography. What year is this when, when this is happening? This was 2010. So I have you down as, I guess there was that wave of street photographers. I guess your notoriety came from that. It did, yeah. The children of Scott Schumann. Yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> the children of Scott Schumann. Scott Schumann's yeah. African <laughs> babies. 
Seriously, we're everywhere. <laughs> that literally is what I've written down. And I would say that's where your notoriety started. Street style photography, would you agree with that? Or was there was there a career before that? No, I mean, it was street style photography, you know, straight in, you know, running around the streets, you know, inspired by Scott seeing him. It's like, oh, wow, like different world, like amazing, you know, like, yeah. And that's how it all began. But is this off the back of, would you say it's off the back of, like influences becoming a thing like you guys were part of what was creating the scene of influencers at the time because this is the first time that people could go to like normal people could go to fashion shows yeah no it's, i mean back then you know i would say back then that sounds such a long time ago i sound like um it's been a hundred years but a fossil yeah but the word you know there weren't that many influences you know it was back then it was more the editors and yeah and all of that and i always say my i have another friend of mine and we always say you know all of us you know the early stages you know where we are i guess responsible for creating all of these influences running around taking all these pictures we created it you know i there's so many people i've seen for over the years whose pictures i've taken and now i'm like wow like when i knew you you were just running around standing outside the shows one of your picture taking and now now you are that big influencer like it's almost like we helped make your career but this is it right so i i've put down a question around that but i i really wanted to touch on before we go into i guess some of your more notable achievements and and people who you photographed and people's careers that you've been a part of from you know starts to wherever they are now Choosing entrepreneurship and creativity as a career coming out of 2009, IT was, I would say, 2003 to nine, you know, most young African kids, if you weren't going to be a banker or an engineer or a doctor or an accountant, you know, the next best was IT. How did you make that transition? It naturally happened. You know, because I've always been a different kind of IT guy. Like, it's weird because I always say, like, the, the newer age of IT where we're, we're more creative, you know. We're not just your average guy who's, you know, trousers up to his chest, glasses, stuck in the back of the room like the IT crowd, that sort of thing. There's more creativity. And I've always kind of been like that, you know. Working in IT, I always worked in advertising. And I would always be the one, you know, turn up with my cool clothes. And I would be like, oh, this guy, like, is he really a, a techie or what is he? Like, where does he fit in, you know? So the transition for me was pretty, like, it was very easy. Like, it just worked. I was still working in IT, but I would take the time out to fly to Paris or New York or wherever to take pictures, you know. And the companies knew it. And for them, it was cool. Like, you know, it's like, oh, wow, we've got this cool IT guy. He got fashion, you know. So, like, it all just worked so easily like a transition i mean i just made a decision after a while after working for so many years you know and then switching companies and i thought this is going well i'm doing this every year the career seems to pick it up why not do both you know or why not switch this podcast is sponsored by malay natural science malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes alluring scents and ancient wisdom of africa their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. So for anyone who doesn't know about, I guess, the rise of street style photography, 
Can you just give us some colors? So you guys would, as street style photographers, this is pre-Instagram what it is now. And Instagram has also even changed, right? If, if we're being fair. That's right. Yeah. But you would travel to fashion weeks throughout the year. And your goal was to capture, I guess, the images that we see and want to look like in our daily lives. Yeah, that's right. I mean, at the beginning, you know, pre-Instagram, I mean, we would go around capturing style. You know, we, we, we would look for the trends. We look for what's new, what people are wearing, what's going to be hitting the streets, you know, in, in, in the upcoming season. And that's all we would do, you know, pretty much all year round, you know, from the beginning of the year all the way through to the end of the year for all the seasons. And our job was to go around, you know, you have to have, you know, the eye and the intuition to know, you know, what's trending, you know, you see a couple of things. It's changed over the years, but I really love that, you know, walking into fashion week and looking around and you're seeing all these styles in marriage, new to old to funky to what other people might think is weird, but it's really cool. I mean, a lot of it even shaped my sense of dressing because you start to see trends, you see things, you're like, oh, this is really cool. And it changed me like in so many ways, but we were the ones that would, yeah, run in and showcase this to the world. It's stuff that you, everyone else would see on the internet or in magazines before Instagram took off and yeah, and changed the game completely. Excuse my ignorance, but how does one then monetize snapping people who haven't called you to take a picture of them? You know, like if we think of the African sense when you're in a wedding and you have these <laughs> yeah, people I know. and they why leave are you the there? <laughs> why are you there? How and they say, Auntie, you I have your picture. Come and see, exactly. come and see. You look beautiful. I'll come and see. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny t- talking about that because I remember the early days, Matt was like, ah, why, why? Do we want, you've got IT. Why do you want to take pictures? You know, that sort of thing. And now he calls me, he's like, Oh, I'm with a follower of yours. You know, they follow you on Instagram. Yeah, speak to them. I'm like, you know, yeah. But um, to monetize, if you don't have a client, there are always other means. You can sell your images to other companies, to newspapers. I mean, you know, there are ways. Now you have Instagram, so people can always message you. People can DM you and be like, hey, you know, I've got, you've got this image. You know, can we buy it off you? We'd like the rights, you know, that sort of thing. But the way to monetize is to go take the pictures, you know, and you can always sell them on. But you have to do the groundwork. You have to reach out to people, you know, to the newspapers or to the magazines or to online repositories. I mean, it's, it's maybe a little bit harder now, but there are also other companies like Getty, smaller, who will always buy images, you know, and that's how you can make money. Yeah, I've got here, you're one of, I guess you do a lot with Getty, which is a notable place to have your picture. But any socialite having an image on Getty is like gold for them, right? Like it means you matter. Absolutely. Moving into defining your space within the dawn of the black man, men of color showing up and a scene at Fashion Week. Can you talk me through, I guess, that time transition and and how you, your role, where you sort of fit in and that community? Because for a long time, this whole dapper dressing within the African community was sort of limited to the Sapers or, you know, people from the Congo. It wasn't mainstream across the continent or even in the diaspora, right? Like it, it wasn't a thing, but I guess guys like you helped make it a thing. Yeah, I, I mean, over the years, yeah. I mean, initially at the beginning, it's funny because there's another friend of mine and I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to sound like the arrogant, like, oh, you know, all, you know, all, all our Blacks, you know, are just cool in general or all Africans just dress. But it kind of is, you know, like, and as a friend of mine who's from Gabon and we talk sometimes and he's like, bro, we can't help it. We're just cool like that. And I, I never really thought about the way I dress, 
you just kind of went with it. And initial stage, in initial years, like there weren't that many black street photographers, you know, there was just quite a, a few. And my really good friend who's another photographer, David, was one that I would always be with. And we would just turn up, you know, normal. You know, there were times where you'd be standing there, something like, can I take a picture? And like, really? Me? Like, you know, that sort of thing. But you never really realize. And over the years, it just changed. Like, there's so much of that now. Now there's so many cool black photographers, like some turn up, I mean, some dress I wouldn't really call it dressing up because, you know, I always say it's just natural anyway. But there's so many now that I've seen over the years just emerge. So many cool, some have grown bigger as well. You know, they work with brands like, I mean, like we all have. But initially, yeah, it was just a few of us turning up, you know, walking around, working. And I guess we maybe we, we helped shape that. We helped create a, create a change, creating an awareness. Because as photographers also, like, we kind of like always stuck to ourselves because it's almost like you weren't really accepted. It's like, who are these guys? Where did they come from? You know, there was such a bigger community of Caucasians and Asians. And there's just like three of us, you know, out of nowhere, you know, until, until now. What year would you say it changed from just being the three of you to now you guys have, you know, the South Africans who turn up alongside, you know, like you, you guys are probably like the veterans now in the African crew. And then you had the Americans start to turn up too. Yeah, I would say probably around 2012, maybe 13. It just, you know, it just change and obviously with pity pity was a uh, was huge i mean over the years seeing pity i mean now that the africans really take over pity the snapkins especially as i got a few loads of good friends yeah who turn up and you're like wow you know it's it's such a huge scene the the dandies you know and they make a name for themselves you know not just because of the way they dress but also what they bring in in terms of bringing african culture and designs and fashion into the mainstream you know you've got like the ladumas with makosa bringing all this to pity and fashion week and for us i think it's great like it's lovely to see it to see that the creating of the awareness you know and the education of of fashion you know a couple of years ago i mean as a teenager you know you walk around i remember like i used to hate it when my dad would send me clothes because you walk around wearing your prints and they'd be like who's this guy you know like like what's going on and it's just nice to be able to be proud and show what we have, you know, our our designs, like our creativity, which, as we know, has always been there. But it's nice that it's being recognized now. I guess the transition from photographers who are now becoming influencers because they were turning up like you are having other photographers now photograph you as part of the visual of Fashion Week. Like, you know what I mean? That's now what we're getting back. Can you think of like that time when that shift started to happen, how it was happening? Yeah, thinking back to having my picture being taken, this was, I mean, one of the first times for, I think, GQ or Vogue, you know, like, I remember having my picture taken and being so excited. I was like, wow, like, am I now an influencer, you know, or what is it? But yeah, seeing that change for me has been quite exciting, you know, seeing, well, for me personally, having my picture taken, now being recognized as a combination of both is pretty exciting as well for me. But thinking back to the transition, I think, I mean, it, it all just happened suddenly, I would say, you know, from 
you know, walking the streets, looking for people to suddenly being stopped to take a picture. I mean, but, and even for me now, well, up until COVID, whenever people would ask me to have a picture taken, it still always comes as a surprise because I'm obviously there to work. I'm running around, you know, I'm not really, I don't really plan these things. I'm not planning my outfit. I'm there just to do a job, you know, run or have fun with my friends because we see each other, you know, every, you know, few months. So you catch up, you're working. I'm always humbled by the fact that someone would stop to have my picture taken. But, uh, you know, I guess the cycle has now turned, you know, for me, taking pictures of other people and putting them on the platform, I'm now being stopped or people recognize me like, oh, wow, you're that guy, you know, I've been following you. I've seen your work, you know, can I take a picture? Can I put you here? There's, yeah, it's, 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 it just happened so, so quickly. And I'm, for me, it's still always a surprise because I'm always humbled, you know, by that, you know, even when it's in the street outside of Fashion Week, when it happens, I'm like, oh, wow, you know. So you, you kind of dropped a few names, GQ, Vogue. I guess in terms of defining men's fashion and sort of street style, street wear, you've shot for everyone from Esquire, you've shot Lewis Hamilton, David Gandhi, pretty much almost every male with fashion over the years if that's right is there anyone you haven't shot yet yeah i'm trying to think well yeah we've got Kanye west in there shot in paris so yeah lewis gandy tiny temper you know all of that i'm trying to think pretty much almost everyone there are a few names that i've missed yeah, thinking back at it, it's like, wow, like I've, I've shot all these people, you know. You've pretty much shot almost everyone. <laughs> yeah. I went looking. Anyone in fashion, has he not shot them so I could talk about it? But pretty much almost everyone. So I guess navigating the opportunity in the early days, though, to, to capture these images and capturing them at that specific time, like how did you know who to go run after, who, who to catch, who was going to look right, who who had something that was interesting? Intuition, you know, like you look, you look at the style. I mean, Lewis Hamilton, the first time for me, I think I was just starstruck. So I just run up. I was like, yeah. But I, in fact, there were two people or three, I would say. Kanye was one because I was like, oh, my God, Kanye. Idris Elba was another. Hold on. And which remember... Kanye is this? Jesus Walks Kanye. This is Jesus Walks Kanye. I was like, oh my God, it's Kanye West. And I remember even trying to muscle, I mean, his security guards are these two giants. And I remember trying to get in, you know, being shoved around, but I just didn't care. I was like, it's Kanye West. I don't care. I want the shot. getting the shot. Oh, yeah. I think I even climbed a wall to get it. I got a great portrait of him and I remember being up a wall. And I remember screaming, God, yeah, and I was just, I was, I was firing. Like, I mean, if I was shooting film, I would have run out of film that moment. Luckily, it was digital. And I was just like, God, yeah, and my, I remember my shutter just going off. And he just happened to look up at my camera and he gave me this eye. And I remember looking at the image going, oh, my God, like, this is amazing. Forgetting everything else, you know, it's like, I've got the shot, you know, with him. And same with Elvis Hamilton and Idris Elba. And I've, I think after that, I was like, OK, I'm desensitized now. I've done it. But Idris Elba was always another one. I remember talking to him, actually, outside of a show. And I could, I had to get the Guardian in there, you know. It's like, Idris, Etisayan, and, you know, and then it's so funny, like, with, Africans and language and never that little connection and then people just open up because if I hadn't said that he'd have been like you know sorry I'm busy but the moment I said it he was like hey you know we started chatting he shook my hand and I was like oh my god like I've, I've done it all. Like, I can retire now, you know, that sort of thing. You know? Done. <laughs> and, and those images have gone where? They've 
Esquire, uh, some have been used for campaigns, some have ended up in Japan for Popeye. I mean, yeah, they're all over now. Do you get royalties? Is that how it works? Yeah, I get royalties every time they're used, they're renewed. Some I've kept, and what I'm doing now is I'm starting to release them as, as prints that I now, you know, would be selling online. So there are a few, like, hidden ones that I never really gave to anyone just to keep that sort of exclusivity. And they will soon be released and will be online to be, yeah, to be purchased by anyone who wants a, a shot of Kanye West. I mean, I'm not sure they'd want Kanye now. Maybe <laughs> might have to wait another couple of years, but yeah. And in the early days, how did you start to figure out how you could carve out opportunity, like, business-wise? Initially, I mean, I think initially the I guess with everyone's dream was to be able to work for publication. So I would just hound, you know, assistants and people, you know, to be able to get my work out there. That's how it was, you know, all the social, all like LinkedIn, you know, you didn't have Instagram, so you couldn't like message anyone. It was constant emailing and emailing and emailing, you know, and just putting your work on there online. I mean, having a techie background, I think helps me in a way with obviously putting images online, making sure they're properly tagged. So if anyone was searching for anything, I could at least be amongst a few hundred or wherever to be seen for an image to be purchased. And a lot of my work came after, well, after being published a few times, a lot, some of the other work just came from, I guess, Google searches. Like some of my work, funny enough, has just come from people searching for something, finding me online and just getting in touch and to work, especially like some of my Asian work has come from online searches. So I've put here, everyone obviously sees the images of street style photography and it's so glamorous. We all want pictures of ourselves looking our best in our favorite outfits. There's something about it that seems super glamorous, but you rightly pointed out sometimes you're up a wall in a tree just trying to get the shot. But what is it that makes that street style shot more special than any other picture? Like, you know, there's that meme of like how our like parents or grandparents would take pictures, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what makes that street style shot a street style shot? Because there's something about it that moves us. It's the composition, you know, and the moments because with street style, change over the years but with street style as it is you know it's you're not working in the studio you're on the street you're it's so fast paced you know you're you're running around and what makes it is i guess it's just capturing that moment at the right time the right composition with the right background or the right crowd is what makes it it could just be that editor going to a show with all the photographers surrounding her but how you capture it with everyone else makes it so glamorous it makes it such a shot you know it gives it such a mood or a story and it's what makes it so glamorous capturing that is what makes it you know and i know there's times you know when i'd be on the street shooting and it's funny because as a photographer i always compare it to being a sniper in a field you know you're looking through that lens i know it sounds a bit you know it's like oh yeah sniper you're looking through the lens you're waiting for that moment you know you're looking looking and then you, you get that shot and you, you can always tell you always know and we always have this thing as street photographers because you know you're like oh wow like i've got the shot and you look and you're like it's just glamorous but yeah it's composition and just finding the right time and the moment with anticipation because you have to anticipate where whoever it is that you're shooting you have to anticipate where it is you're going maybe how their culture is going to flow or where the wind is blowing and you take that shot and you get it like there's so much technicality as well involved in it but yeah that's that's just how it is it's a lot of anticipation and getting the composition right because anyone can just run and take the picture 
but it's how you do it that defines your picture and makes it the one that stands out. I love how you said anyone can. Uh, we all have iPhones and we all try, uh, but I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think it comes out just the same. That leads me on to my next question, which is finding your eye. Like, how did you decide how you valued your work? That's an interesting one because, I mean, it took me a few years to really find my style you know in way i've always loved portraits like something about portraits for me that really gets me you know i think expression mood and for a long time i mean it still is i love i mean everyone does anyway i guess as photographers and there is no rule to what you can do but i've always loved taking portraits from far you know not when people expect it because i always find that you get such a genuine feeling or mood with that it took years for me to define my photography i mean i go back now sometimes i look at my archives and i'm like wow it's come such a long way you know back then you know taking a shot and thinking wow like i'm the hottest photographer on the street like does anyone really know who i am like you know and not looking and going wow like who are you like what were you thinking you know (laughs) but still something to it but, you know, with, with most things, you know, we're constantly learning and evolving and developing. And I still am. But I've come to a point where now where there's a style or there's a way in which I take pictures. And it's I think it's how I like it. And a lot of that has come from, I guess, friends, you know, like taking pictures, like being comfortable with it. And friends going, wow, I'm like, this is really you. Like, you seem to be doing this. And have you even thought about, like, make, like owning it without even thinking about it? And that's where it's come. And I have this thing where I like, I love now shooting through objects or having an object in the way, you know, like just to, to give a depth the field. Like, because, yeah, for me, like, it makes a subject stand out. I love my portraits are like that. I may be shooting through a car window or someone's arm or someone's leg <laughs> and it's how I like it like I quite like the artistic side of it and even that will probably change at some point or I'll probably evolve that but it's how I've changed over the years it's, it's such an interesting thing when I want to think back at it I've got a question here it's a statement question the power of the image what have you seen an image do that's an interesting question what have I seen an image do Actually, I've seen an image uh, move people and bring people together. And this goes to what I'm now working on with my project and series in Africa. And I shot a series of images in Ghana in 2017 as part of something I'm working on. And I remember having an exhibition and I asked people to, to just write thoughts, you know, in a book, like go into a booth sit there, look at the image and write your thoughts and feelings. And I never really thought anything of it until I started reading through these notes. And the power of an image, it's amazing how we can move people and actually make people think, you know, like you're telling a story without even telling it. And I've seen it bring people together. I've seen it move people's thoughts, you know. I, it's so incredible. There's an image in particular that I, sh- I shot and gone off this lady and I had it in this booth and I asked a few people to write about it and the words like really moved me, you know, like how people could look at an image and the definition of, of what they see, you know, or what they're thinking and also how people can identify with that image you know to to talk about it like i can see this because i've had the same thing and i can see the pain in this eyes you know like it's it's such a powerful thing and i I guess for me that's the reason why i really love portraits because you're telling a story on and you're also your you like people to be able to express themselves i guess or identify with you or the the subject in the image it's quite a powerful thing really when you think about it you never really realize the power that you have or the power an image has until you see people talking about it reflecting 
you know, and identifying with it, you know, it's, it's yeah, it blows me away every time. Great. Thank you so much for that. So you've been in COVID like the rest of us. Fashion weeks are no more. Fashion weeks are a thing of the past, digital. How have you navigated having to rethink your work through this change? I think I was, I've been a little bit lucky because prior to COVID, you know, I was traveling more, you know, going back to the motherland, you know, to, to shoot people and shooting. I, I started this project, which is Embracing the Unseen. And the whole idea is to capture the people, you know, those that we never see. Because, you know, back home, you're like, life's good. You see this people on there, there's no one there. But you never really see the force. Those, the farmers, the street hawkers, you know, the ones keeping the nation going, like running around and also telling a story. You know, we all want to tell the story of the motherland. I mean, now and people more know Africa a lot more than they did before. There's so much going on. You know, Ghana is booming. You know, they're, they're calling it the Dubai of West Africa. I'm like, hey, okay, I'll take that, you know. But it's also showing other sides of it. Again, it goes back to, I remember when I was in Ghana and I used to hang out with these guys. My friend's dad owned this bar and we would go out drinking. We would sit. And one of his, his head waiter, I remember back then, this guy. And I used to always I'd, I'd admire him. I was like, you know, you're earning, what, a dollar a day? But you're the happiest person on earth, you know. You come to work, you're smiling. He would go out with us and buy us drinks. And I used to be like, why, you know, like I've come from London, you know, I'm running around, I've got all this, you're working for my friend, you know. And it got me to, to work, start working this project, shooting these people, showing a whole life, you know. Some often, often the story of Africa is told in such a bad way, but now that's changing. The whole idea. So with, prior to Fashion Week running away, I had started working on these projects. You know, I had an exhibition, I had some other work put out. So the change, I didn't really care as much, if that makes sense, because it was a bigger picture for me, you know, of slowly transitioning away from the street style side of things, you know, to moving into more the artistic side of things. So, Would the reportage be the right word? Yeah, reportage, you know, photojournalism reportage. And 20, I mean, the only annoying thing was 2019 was the year that I was going to go and just travel West Africa and just shoot, you know, go to some of the countries I hadn't been, go to the villages. So that's the only side of thing, you know, that hasn't really worked out. But I've kind of just adjusted, you know. I mean, I'm still shooting. I've, I've still shot a few bits here and there. I mean, I've shot a few campaigns during covid did um actually shooting tomorrow actually got a massive editorial tomorrow so it's it's not so bad actually i think i mean it's not the best but it's slightly manageable so you're still shooting strangers for money basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> might not be the same strangers in fancy frock but they're still strangers nonetheless it actually is yeah capture the strangers we all have a sense of familiarity through those images with just how you do it we're now in the influencer era everyone is building personal brands or trying to or within their own business ventures etc you were i guess part of the wave of the influencer, the birth of the influencer, especially in the fashion scene in the beginning. Who do you remember and who's still around? As an influencer? Yes. Well, before you became one yourself. Before, I know, I'm about to like, oh my God, yeah. And now I'm like, am I really? It's like, really? And I have friends that always laugh at me when I post stuff. They're like, yeah, hashtag influencer. I'm like, God. 
I mean, there were quite a few. I mean, one who I've always still seen. I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen him in a few years, but it's Kadu. He's a Brazilian influencer, and I remember in the early days of shooting him, you know, around the streets. There's Tamu McPherson, who most of people know. I mean, she used to be on the streets with us, you know. She was a photographer. Yeah, we would do the shows together. She's still around. Another is Doina. Chivanu. She was another one who would be on the streets with us, you know. I mean, it is really choose a rise seeing these people. The Linda Tolls, who, Linda as well, used to be on the street shooting. How did they go from photographers trying to capture, again, the children of Scott Schumann, right? Because you guys were all the, the offspring of Scott and you loved fashion. So mo most people would try and shoot first at that time. But how did they move from that to then, you know, being in the front rows and, you know, brands wanting to have their things seen in them. I remember the children of Scott Schumann and then some of those children became influencers, but no one knew how. Yeah, it's true because they, one minute they were, you know, they were, they were there and next minute they weren't. I think it's some of it, I would say was being in the right place at the right time. Some of them probably didn't think they could do it. And then others, I think just hard work, perseverance, you know, setting a goal, I'm sure as much as there are photographers opportunities arose. But I think right place, when I say right place at the right time, it was probably having Scott take your picture, <laughs> you know? Because I remember there were times being on the street and there were so many people I would see who were desperate to have Scott to take their picture. If you've ever seen a peacock do its dance, <laughs> you know, like literally running around, waiting. But the one thing I always admire about Scott was, you know, and I think, and what, and it was what also taught me, like, you don't just shoot the next, the first peacock that comes running, you know, you're looking for a star, you're looking for something. And I think some of these people just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And Tamu, the Doinas, the Lindas, they were, I remember seeing them, they were always so cool, you know, especially in my first years and meet them, like, wow, who's this cool photographer? Like, you had Fashion Week, but you look so cool, you know, and I guess it's probably the same thing people thought about me, you know, but I never really realized. Having your picture taking, starting to work with brands, developing it and for them they were at the early stages as, again as you said as we say of the influencers it was easier for them to transition because there's this new wave of like oh wow like these people in the street are having their pictures taken not just the editors but the photographers and the brand are probably thinking wow well, how can we monetize this you know and i think that's what really happened in a short space of time was suddenly from you know shooting not just you know stars will always be there and the editors and all the people attending the shows to the camera being turned to those who are actually doing the work because they're all even though they're there to shoot that the editors they're also as cool and i think that's what happened within a very short space of time because one minute you were there the next minute you were on the platform it's all around the time instagram started as well people were like oh we can show this and it blew out you know it just changed and these guys are still there it's so different now, right? Because I don't know how you feel about how different the landscape is now, especially when it comes to shooting fashion, influencing. I guess your skills are now being used in, in a different way to a Getty, right? Like your publishing platform is now Instagram or TikTok. You know what I mean? Like it's a different medium. Any tips for anyone thinking of how they leverage that Obviously, they might not have the same, you know, photographic skills as you do, but I guess that's usually a, a question for how do you then start to maximize that? Because you've lived several lifetimes within the same industry. I don't know if you've ever kind of seen it that way. 
Yeah, I never really thought about it, but yeah, you're right. I mean, seeing the changes, I mean, from having a website with all your imageries, which was your repository, to having, you know, an app on your phone that puts you on the map, you know, puts you in the world. I mean, I always say, you know, the, you just have to be original. But I mean, these days, I mean, even originality, it's, you have to be original, but at the end of the day, there, has to, there always will be some form of creativity or skill. Because in order for you to be seen and this app and the saturation, you have to really stand out. So, you know, you're, I, don't, I don't know how to really put it, I'd say. But I mean, I, I would always say, you know, be as original as you can. Like as much as you might like what somebody else does, obviously you can't do the same thing because you're just a clone of them. And, that, and no one will ever go to a copy. They'll always go to the original. You just have to be original. I think it's the only, it's the only thing I can say. Be original, be creative. Find your own way, find your own style and capitalize on it. Abdel, thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. It was such a pleasure speaking to you and hopefully we've been able to give people a window into a, a, a time where actually no one was asking you guys what you felt or thought or your journey at the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. We are building a community of leaders and game changers and would love you to join in the conversation on thirdcultureafricans.com. Subscribe for news, for tips and more useful resources on today's topic and more episodes to ignite and inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Carry on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Third Culture Africans. Your ratings and reviews are important to us, so please leave one on your favorite streaming platform and help us amplify our voices. Until next time, you are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. Mm -hmm.